Well, uh, our analysis of the world, if we go back, was roughly that the internet is changing which world we live in. Uh, and similar to how other industries have been disrupted, like let's say music, you know, if you remember the 90s, people had CD stores and then people made, you know, someone made Napster and it was this like decade of lawsuits in the music industry. And eventually Spotify emerged after a lot of pain. And, and now we have this whole new kind of global digital music industry, you know, primarily via streaming. Okay, so we've seen that happen in industry after industry, one at a time. And what we see what we saw in our crystal ball is that's going to happen also in the domain of countries and the social safety net. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Miko Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 131 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to be joined by Sandra Roche, the founder and CEO of Safety Wing, one of the largest providers of health insurance for digital nomads and remote workers. During this interview, Sandre and I got to discuss a wide range of topics, from his views on the future of remote work to why Safety Wing has invested thousands of dollars on research in the topic of internet countries. More specifically, you will learn three very important things from this interview. Number one, what is a social safety net and why Safety Wing is trying to create a digital version? Number two, why Safety Wing started the Plumia project and what have their biggest takeaways been one year in? And finally, number three, what is the difference between remote visas and digital citizenships and what are their use cases? But before we jump into the interview, make sure that you subscribe to my YouTube channel, which you can find a link to in the show notes for this episode. I publish a new video there every single weekday about the digital nomad lifestyle, remote work, and online business. So if you're interested in starting a lifestyle business of your own or want to learn more about life as a location-dependent entrepreneur, make sure you subscribe. To do so, just click on the link in the show notes or search for my phone name, Mitko Karshovsky. Finally, I'd love to hear what you think about this podcast. I have made it very easy for you to leave a review. It takes less than a minute, and all you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. If you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways to support us. Reviews are a key statistic that podcasting apps like Apple look at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So thank you in advance for leaving a review if you choose to do so. And thank you for joining me over on YouTube. But without further ado, guys, let's dive into this awesome interview with Sandra Rush. All right, Sandra, welcome to the show, man. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Like I said before we hit record, I feel like I've spoken to like half the team over at Safety Wing. So uh, I'm really excited to finally have you on the show. Well, it's a wonderful team, so I can understand why, but it's 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 an honor to be here, uh, Mitko. So I want to start off first to talk about, uh, you mentioned that you're in San Francisco at the moment. And from my perspective, you said it's raining over there. Uh, and from my perspective, it's like everyone is leaving San Francisco uh, at the mm -hmm. moment. And so I'm curious, you know, with you being the founder of a remote company, obviously doing a lot of work in remote, why are you deciding to still be in San Francisco or are you planning your exodus as well? Yeah, no, I, I'm going to stay. Uh, my reasoning for staying is that you know, where you live, you're affected by the culture and the network that's there. And even with the enormous hit that San Francisco Bay Area has taken from the exodus and, you know, struggling with local uh, uh, kind of problems like homelessness and other things, 
it it still is the kind of premier network and the, I would say the premier culture uh, for tech and the future. Uh, I would say the, it has like this optimistic, bold uh, approach to, to, to problems. And, you know, when I have random conversations here, it's so different from any other city in the world. What do you think is missing from like the overall remote or maybe digital infrastructure uh, in order to kind of like, like, cause like agree with you in terms of like, Hey, physical spaces and like where you hang out and the area that you spend your time with and the people that are also in that area really matters in terms of like your thinking mm-hmm. and, and how much you move forward and how much you grow. But I like, I think the dream is that the digital space that you occupy will start being more important. Right. So like, what do you think is missing from the digital space that would like replace the physical, if that makes sense? Like what needs yeah. to happen in order to like your Discord channel and what Discord group you're involved in matters more than the city that you're located in? I think it's probably just to make the events be- better. Um, so, you know, the event technology has taken a big leap, particularly during COVID. Some great startups have been built in this, that area. Uh, but, you know, that, that's the main thing I get here is events, uh, hosting uh, hosting them, going to them, and and the experience of meeting new people, interacting with about novel ideas and interesting conversations as part of those events. So I think you know once we're able to nail that, and I do think we will at some point. You know that's that's probably the the last big thing. So you think it's like the events and sort of like these big happenings, and not necessarily like the like the day to day conversations. Yeah, because day to day, I'm not meeting <laughs> many people locally. I work obviously. Safe doing is a remote company, um, so I uh, I don't have like an office environment or or anything like that. I, I interact with my you know closest friends uh, and you know, like my wife in the in the day to day, but not I don't you know meet uh, random people. I should say there is a small plus for that. You know, when you're here in the Bay Area, like you're in. I remember the first day I was in Palo Alto and I moved here and I was in the queue at the Starbucks and someone in front of me were talking about something, something rockets. And the person behind me was talking about something, something there. And I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> so there is something to that, but that's not a big part of, of the experience. Um, so yeah, I would still guess the events. And out of curiosity, you know, if you were to leave San Francisco, we're always kind of talking about like, what is the next big hub or what is the place that's sort of like really um, accelerating on these topics? Like from your personal viewpoint, if you were to like leave San Francisco, what is the next city uh, or cities that you'd be looking at to go to, to get that same feeling that you get in San Francisco? Well, uh, I, I, I realize I have to add one thing when I say event. I don't just mean big events. I also mean, you know, the recurring dinner you have with the same group mm-hmm. of friends, which I do have here right. um, and, uh, and, and where the, the online substitute isn't yet there. Um, the second best city. The second best city. Uh, I don't know. I haven't been to any city yet where I think that's the primary thing. I mean, the Bay Area has this odd thing where technology and the future is the primary thing. But, you know, so I were recently in Austin, you know, clearly, you know, been in LA, New York, and Berlin, Lisbon. I'm listing these because these are places often mentioned as, you know, possibilities mm-hmm. to loom even. Uh None of them have this thing where this feels like the primary thing. You kind of have to find the subculture. Uh, mm. Although of the ones I mentioned, it's weird because I've never thought this thought before. But as I was listing them, I actually found Williamsburg in New York, uh, the closest substitute. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I know it's there in Austin, but I, it's you're not going to stumble upon it going off the plane. Uh, you, yeah. you, you have it's to not the that. predominant culture. Like you said, it's like the subculture. Like you need to find the community within the community. Correct. Yes. 
Mm. Yeah, I think like there's definitely like some places that are trying to almost become like the alternative. Like I think you mentioned like Austin would be a good one, right? Like I think Lisbon, uh, I think people would make like a big case for Lisbon being one of those places. Um, But I think you're right. Like I don't think like it's almost San Francisco's main brand is those conversations. It's that culture while like in every other place, it's almost like even if they're trying to make it the culture, it's not quite that yet. So I definitely agree with you. But I want to shift into talking a little bit about more, you know, you're the founder of Safety Wing and you've been doing remote healthcare now for uh, health insurance for quite uh, a while now. But I'm very excited about two kind of projects that you guys are working on at the moment. One of them being a global social safety net and -hmm. the other one being this sort of idea of a country on the internet. And you guys Mm -hmm. launched um, almost a year ago now in December of 2020, you you launched a project called Plumia, which Mm -hmm. is, uh, as far as I understand and correct me if I'm wrong, not necessarily the name of like, it's not like a country, it's more of like a research project around how to actually do that. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious why why do this like obviously you know remote uh health insurance is already a big enough of an undertaking like the health um industry is one of the big giants that you kind of need to wrestle with to kind of get any sort of development in why take on these two equally if not even bigger challenges like why did you decide to spend your resources on these two topics yes well, uh, our analysis of the world, if we go back, was roughly that the internet is changing which world we live in. Uh, and similar to how other industries have been disrupted, like let's say music, you know, if you remember the 90s, people had CD stores. <laughs> and then people made, you know, someone made Napster, and it was this like decade of lawsuits in the music industry. And eventually Spotify emerged after a lot of pain. And and now we have this whole new kind of global digital music industry, you know, primarily via streaming. Okay, so we've seen that happen in industry after industry, one at a time. And what we see, what we saw in our crystal ball is that's going to happen also in the domain of countries and the social safety net for the same drivers, the technological possibility and the change in constraints for the world we live in. And what I mean by that, I mean, if you are a digital nomad, obviously if you're from Norway, but you're in Bali, you can't access the Norwegian social safety net, right? Or if you're a remote company, we're a remote company with entities in several different countries, but if we hire someone in, when we hired someone in Argentina, uh, that person, you know, they certainly can't access the Norwegian social safety net, but not even the U.S. insurances, and in many cases, also not the Argentinian social safety net because that's built around being a regular full-time employee at a local company. Uh, so you have this thing where, for a large new section of the population, the existing infrastructure is obsolete, and it has to be rebuilt in a global digital way. And okay, so so that's our that's our analysis. We were so convinced this was true that we set out to build it. We were kind of said, we think this is true. We think if no one else builds this, things will be very bad. And uh, we have we can try to to build it. It seems like an impossible thing, but we we have some things some things in our experience that allows us to do that. Like one, I built a, a freelancer platform before, so I knew the problem really well. We wanted to provide benefits, uh, social safety net for people on the platform. Nobody offered it, so we decided to build it ourselves. The other thing is we have been a part of building the Norwegian social safety net. That was what I did before I went into startups as a policy advisor. So we thought we could we could maybe do this. We can build something like the Norwegian social safety net but that it's available globally, digitally, as a membership, um, and that that, and then beyond that, to also build, uh, contribute to what will be the first country uh, on the internet, which is what Plumia is about. Like you correctly said, it's a it's a research project. It's the booting program to load the first country on the internet. <laughs> so that's so, uh, roughly it. Yeah. 
I, I think, it, you know, people might be wondering uh, right now, like, can you please define what you mean by a social safety net? Like, yep. what is that and what is included in that? Yeah. So what what is that? What is that specifically in, in Norway? It's, uh, it's what you in the U.S. might think of as benefits. So it's like it's health insurance, it's retirement, it's income protection, unemployment protection, you know, sick leave. Uh, disability help. It's sort of that thing, that community service uh, that helps people who desperately need help, you know, the, the, the young, the sick, the, the elderly. Uh, and, and this is a key part of any society. You know, you have to have some kind of way of helping people who aren't, uh, you know, can't do, you know, productive work in a, in a given day. And so that's that's what we're building. That's the that's the thing. And uh, you know, two ways of approach how to build that. You know, one is just to look at the countries themselves. You know, which is what we're doing. We're just saying what is the social safety net in Norway and how can we build that in a digital way. Well, and our plan was we build one product at a time, starting with health, and then retirement, and and then income protection, and and then we sew it all together as a membership that works anywhere in the world for anywhere in the world accessible for anyone in the world and uh, another way to approach it is to go way back in like you know before agriculture we were we were all nomad nomadic and uh, uh, there was a social safety net then as well which came from your tribe your community and uh, so we think this is also a key part of a social safety net it's it's a community service it's uh, back then it's like, you know, if you were ill with a kind of wandering nomadic tribe and you were left behind, that was, you know, a death sentence. So this is a need people have and they want to solve this communally because they, you know, they know they're at risk. And if they were to ha- be the one with the bad luck, you know, they, they need to rely on others. So, so, um, so that's, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, I think it, you make an interesting point about the way that we view uh, like what you would call a social safety net, right, is in terms of the nation state, right? Like we have this giant nation state that supports millions of people and we kind of all together like come together and like a small percentage of our income goes to support those that are not productive in the economy, in the society, like you mentioned. However, that delivery vehicle has only existed for like 100, 200 years, right? For Mm -hmm. a a majority of time, actually, like historically in terms of our civilization, our species, it's been in these small tribes. And that's definitely something that I want to talk more about with you in terms of like, like what is the, like, are we shifting into a new delivery vehicle to do that? Like, I think that that's also a very interesting conversation because necessarily taking a country the way that exists now and putting it on the internet may not be the right solution, right? Like, do you kind of like revert back to a different delivery vehicle? Oh yeah, no, it it is a different delivery vehicle. And, uh, and we are, you know, not certain what exactly that, uh, vehicle will, will look like we only know some aspects about it you know we know it has to be global that's one thing that you know is we thought from the beginning but it's just been crystal clear as we're now helping tens of thousands of of nomads and remote workers uh with their health insurance if it's not global that's the biggest kind of uh problem about it like can i you know which countries can you go to which countries are you covered in uh which uh places can we hire people in etc that's that's the main problem we are solving when we bring to this so um in a, it definitely has to be digital and make use of the internet and software you know that's one of the main ways that the old countries are obsolete but all and if you look at that that's one of the key things in the other industries that have been disrupted, you know, think about the the step from CD stores to Spotify. It is making use of software and the internet to create things that, you know, work much better than anything that was before. Like this is just a new technology and it needs to be applied. But it, it, it by some senses has to be different. So for example, it's obviously going to be a voluntary membership. 
you know, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, a country and internet isn't going to have, uh, you know, some kind of method of force, right, over some jurisdiction uh, to 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 get people uh, to to join the community. It has to be voluntary, and uh, that just follows um, kind of logically, unless you have a world government, which uh, would is a risky endeavor. You know that's what it is. It's a it's a voluntary global digital membership. Yeah, I really want to explore this a lot more because I think this is one of the very interesting questions of I don't know like what time span. Like maybe very interesting questions of the next decade. Maybe one of the interesting questions that will remain an interesting question for the next century. Like we don't quite know how big of a problem this is and like how much time it's going to take to solve it. But I do Mm. want to go back a little bit to the social safety net because I think that this is an interesting concept, especially for people who are, you know, like the whole digital nomad thing, I think pre-COVID was sort of seen as a as a phase, right? Like I, there's a lot of people that I know who were digital nomads for a period of time and then they kind of like slowed down. They decided to like either settle in another country or go back to their home country. And so that problem was sort of like solved for them, right? Like they kind of spent their time in the nomadic world and then they went back and could lean on their country's safety net. However, mm-hmm. I think going forward, more and more people will remain nomadic or however you view that term. Uh, mm. more long, like for longer periods of time. And this is where this becomes a bigger problem. So how do you see the social safety net functioning? I know that you said that it's going to be a membership, but can you like give us an example of what somebody who's listening to this might experience uh, once the social safety net, net is like launched? Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, the user, you know, you can imagine could be a nomadic individual or family or it could be someone who's just a remote uh, worker anywhere in the world, the, the, you would have a set of services from this membership, you know, and that includes health, and uh, it includes retirement, um, disability, and income protection. So you would have a membership, uh, and you, you would have, like, obviously a digital interface where you can kind of access and see, you know, what's covered, where you can find medical providers, um, how you can sort of turn on, you know, sick leave or your retirement savings, where you can move and and other tools like that in a digital interface. So you will kind of get your, a lot of the, you know, your social safety net would be a dashboard in a sense, a dashboard for for that part of your life. Uh, You would have a a way to access that, you know, locally. So clearly there would be, uh, uh, you know, an app, we think possibly a, you, you might also have a bracelet with your medical data. And then you can access whatever care we can do remotely, you would have remotely. So we just started, you know, remote doctor last week. Uh, it's still in closed beta for another six months, but but that's a very exciting part of our, our product vision. We also imagine we will have service centers, sort of imagine like the app store, the Apple store of, uh, you know, primary care. And... Uh, and then uh, those will be like in your local city, you know, equivalent to you might see there's a tool called Go Forward. So what we want to do is create this like digital, very futuristic and frictionless experience for how you interact with these things so that you are, you know, uh, healthy and taken care of and able to, you know, live without fear uh, of, um, of being sick or injured. And if that does happen, uh, we... Uh, you know, both get you the right medical care, but also try to find ways to use technology to get you back on your feet, uh, which is um, how we kind of imagine that the social safety net of the future should become. It's kind of like having this like team of helpers with you wherever you go in the world and that you can access the same level of care wherever you are on the planet. So walk me through because I'm curious about, I, I understand the vision of kind of taking 
what I'd call medical tourism as it exists today and making it less tourism and more like global and like remote. Like I, I love that idea. I'm all about it. It's something that I'm very interested in in terms of like, you know, I've often talked about this with friends. Like I'd love to have like a place where like if I want to go get dental work, I know exactly where in the world to go to get the best dental work for the price. And like if I need to go get some sort of surgery that's very specific, I know where to go to do that. Like I, I would love that. But I'm very curious about this more like financial safety net, right? Because like you mentioned, like retirement, Mm -hmm. like how do you handle retirement in a scenario that is outside of the boundaries of like the country, right? Because like, for example, if I were to like retire as a U.S. citizen, I'd get some sort of like benefits as a U.S. citizen, right? Like a social security. And we can go down like the route of like, will social security actually be there to help me or not? Like, I don't want to necessarily talk about that, but like, how do you guys, inv- like, where's the money going to come to cover my retirement one day as a digital nomad who decides to like retire and stop working? Yeah. I mean, remote retirement is a product we've had in development actually for two years. And uh, so that's one of the big product launches for, for next year for us. Mm. So some of it is, you know, similar to how you think of regular retirement. I mean, retirement is saving money now so that you have it for later, right? Um, One of the, you know, so what needs to be slightly different is that you can do that anywhere in the world and you can move anywhere in the world and still have the money. You know, that's one of the problems you have with retirement today is that it's not portable. So if you work for a remote company in another country, you're not saving necessarily for your US retirement, right? And if you move, you can't necessarily bring it with you either. You know, a lot of people who are nomadic have the situation where they have like some pension savings in Japan and some in Portugal and and they have no idea. They're basically counting it as lost. Mm. So it needs to be global and portable like all these other uh, infrastructure. Uh, the other part that we really, you know, want to, you know, build the the, the more novel thing we build into that product is that we want to make use of the fact that it is global. So we have this thing where you can choose target age, but you can also choose target destination and kind of unlock cities. So, you know, there's a world map. You can see how much it costs to retire in San Francisco, or maybe you want to retire in Buenos Aires. Turns out much cheaper. And then once you hit that target amount saved, you have a perpetual fixed income. So this is an idea that comes from a community called FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early. Uh, but it's essentially to to set up a way so that it doesn't matter which age you retire at. And this is an idea we thought was cool because it uh, it does allow you to see, you know, the possibility of retiring in a different place and, and thereby retiring at a different age. But also because we think retirement in the future will mean something different. We hope it will mean that it's not when you necessarily stop working, but it's like when you sort of stop working because you have to, or for money, and you instead work on what you want to work on. And uh, and that many people today will be able to retire much earlier um, uh, because of that. And and that's that's going to be a great thing. So yeah, those are two, two a couple of uh, ideas there. At the base level, it's not that dissimilar. You know, we solve a couple of key problems by making it global, by making it portable between companies. Uh, and but uh, and we we offer some other options by kind of being able to take advantage of the digital nomad opportunity. But it's it's an ancient problem. You will become old. You can't work anymore. You need money. <laughs> so how does this tie in and how does it work differently from, for example, an employee at a remote company. Like, let's say, for example, I have a friend, Chase Warrington, who's been on this podcast, who works for mm. uh, a great remote company called Doist, right? So they have a large company. I'm assuming that this is something where, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but like where you, like Doist would use Safety Wings retirement plan and all of the employees would pitch X number of dollars or percentage of their income towards that fund so that they can like mm-hmm. then retire. How would that work then for freelancers or solopreneurs? Because we know that more and more of the economy is moving in that direction. So how yes. are the two different groups going to be served um, by this by this plan, by this product? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the way we've designed it in the MVP, so we're kind of switching a bit between kind of ideal and step one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so forgive me for doing that. But in, in our first iteration, it's simple because it's just uh, 5%, which is a default. You just save a percentage of your income. Uh, and that can be done also by a freelancer who who has variable income. And uh, you would get, of course, an estimate of of what that implies. But if you're saving towards a target amount, uh, it's it's just as possible to do when you're freelance and when you're not. Uh, so for retirement, that is fairly straightforward. If there are other parts of income protection that is much more challenging when you think about freelance. So one is, you know, what's in the regular economy, in the old old economy, would be called unemployment insurance. Mm-hmm. So this is a real challenge ahead of us that we have some ideas of how we might solve it. Um, we haven't gotten to that product yet, but we do want to make that. And that's a key problem we want to solve when doing that is to make an income protection product that works for freelancers so that if they have less income or are sick, uh, they they might still have kind of enough to cover the rent or or their mortgage. Um, and, and that requires some creativity because that's not how the old economy is set up. And would that be something where it's individual, meaning that like, hey, as a freelancer, for example, I contribute $1,000 a month into a, a, a savings account because at some point I might need to like dip into that money to cover that? Or do you view that as something like a whole bunch of people put money into a pool so that if, you know, five of them need that help, they can get it? Yeah. The last one. Um, and why? The- because like for me, like from my point of view, like this, like this issue is part mm. of like running a business, right? It's sort of like mm-hmm. as a freelancer, like anybody who's been a freelancer for any amount of time, like knows that this is the realities of doing business and they need to find a solution for them. So in, instead of it just being education as around like, hey, here's how to do a business and freelancing sustainably, why why do you think it needs to be solved in this sort of um, communal way, perhaps I can say? Yeah, uh, so that is because things that can affect your income are things that are low probability and just happen to a few people in the community. But when they happen, it's extremely costly. So this is different from ret- retirement. Everyone is going to get old and get in that situation. So it's, there's no, you don't have to do that communally. But uh, uh, losing income, for example, because of disability or like losing your ability suddenly, your ability to produce income, is something that will likely not happen to you, but it will happen to somebody. And uh, and it has this like a percentage chance of happening. And this is this is a perfect case for when kind of communal, when insurance makes sense. It's like, okay, here we are, we're 100 people. We know one of us, you know, uh, in the next, you know, year or three years is going to uh, be in some kind of accident and just lose all income producing activity. And we don't know which. So how about we just kind of agree that we all just, you know, uh, pay, you know, a percentage of our income to cover that uh, happening with either one of us. And that's the logic of mm. it. And and that's why you set it up communally, because it's uh, it's a low probability event. So this is more in terms of like a, like a, 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 like a big event, not necessarily like, hey, I'm experiencing like three months of bad business. It's more of like you're not able to work any further. Yeah. So the, and, the, the, the income protection part, the unemployment, that's slightly different. That will likely be set up as a combo of saving and, and, uh, and insurance. But we're getting now into things where like we, we have this ahead of us. Uh, I, I can sketch out some possible solutions, but, right. um, but, we when we get closer we'll we'll see how what's what's actually feasible um for the income protection part uh, we you know the, there's likely will be a combination of savings plus for you know within a certain band and then if it's like something unusual uh th- there's an insurance coupled with that and mm-hmm. we were able to set that up where uh mathematically uh, in a way where we, if we had a year of your income history, we could sort of like guarantee you fixed income for the coming years uh, at like $50 a month, where the 50 covered, uh, and then there was this automatic saving component from month to month, and the 50 also covered the insurance 
in the case of that you went outside that band. Um, and that was, you know, one way at least mathematically where we say, okay, this is a possible solution where someone can go from having a variable freelance income to a steady income that they could like get a mortgage on. Hey guys, we will be right back to the current episode, but first I want to take a quick second and tell you about another podcast I think you'd really enjoy called About Abroad, which is hosted by my friend Chase Warrington, who is actually a guest on That Remote Life back on episode 122. On About Abroad, Chase interviews expats, digital nomads, and remote work thought leaders from around the world to dive deep into how you can build a life beyond your borders. As an American that has lived in multiple countries and currently calls Spain home, he knows a thing or two about the challenges of creating a life abroad. Chase is also the head of Remote at Doist, one of the leading remote-first organizations, which you may know as the company behind the popular task manager to Doist, and taps into his connections in the remote world to bring on some really, really great guests. Guys, About Abroad has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts, and if you enjoy that remote life, I think you will really dig About Abroad as well. So if you're interested in checking that out, head over to aboutabroad.com and give it a listen. And with that, let's get back into the current episode. For anybody listening, uh, not like necessarily anything that you say is not like, this is what it's going to be like. Like we're kind of just having a conversation because I have like, these are things that I've thought about, but I don't necessarily like, I'm curious to hear what sort of um, answers you've come up with. And just sort of in terms of like brainstorming, like I completely understand that like what you think might happen now isn't necessarily what's going to happen in like two or three years when like that product goes live. But uh, Mm -hmm. I am curious, how do you protect in this scenario how do you make sure that that money is there long-term? And what I mean by that question is like, for example, if we look at like a country, right? If you're a citizen of the United States, you're paying a certain amount of money towards, you know, in taxes or in social security. And that's like part of the deal, right? If we look at it as a membership and we know that we can rely on that because the percentage of people or the number of people who leave that citizenship, quote unquote, that membership is not very high and it's very difficult mm-hmm. to do, which pros and cons. How do you then make sure that that money is going to be there when it's needed by those people if this is like a simpler membership? Like what if, you know, like you mentioned, 100 people, one of them needs that assistance, but like 50 people of that 100 decide to like quit their membership that month? Yeah. Well, it actually isn't that uh, complicated. So there's like two different ways to use and use them when appropriate. So one is the, let's say, insurance way and the other is the savings way and it's the same with countries so in countries you would call this um you would call one pay as you go and then i can't recall what they call the other one but it's essentially this like you you, we can either set things up in two ways either you know we have this community anyone who is a member this year has access to these things and uh, the price of the community membership is the cost for paying, for example, for those people who, you know, get into a serious accident that year or have a serious health uh, accident that year. And that's the proper way to solve that because it's a year-by-year risk calculation. So that's appropriate. But when it comes to retirement or other things where long-time savings makes more sense on an individual basis, then you literally save the money. So one thing we've seen in many countries is that they've used the pay-as-you-go method for things that are more appropriate to be developed as savings. And that's when you get in this situation where you have like unfunded pension liabilities, where people have said they will have pensions, but because the demographics and the economy has changed, you know, over the decades, um, you know, the, the what used to be an easy calculation doesn't make sense anymore. And, uh, so so that's, you know, not a good idea. You know, things that are long-term savings are best done on an individual basis where the money's actually put mm-hmm. away and actually there, and you can see where and, and, and how much. Uh, and then those other things that are like year-to-year, you know, risk calculations, those can be done on an ongoing basis, just uh, kind of paying into the shared pot and then people taking out of that pot according to a set of rules that they agreed upon when they bought the product. 
I see. So it's essentially kind of like the, it might change based on the availability of funds is what you're saying. It, it like changes the on the nature. Yeah. Uh, oh, the payout. Well, I mean, we would describe a set of rules so you would know what you would have. Uh, now I'm kind of just giving the like the two logics. Uh, of course, of, of course, you would approach yeah, the problem. Yeah. But but no, I mean in practice, you know what has to come out on the other end is something that is very simple, you know, and that is you know part of the problem of making a great product is that it has to be really easy to understand and easy to use, in the end, right? So so you know in the end it's going to be something very straightforward, like oh you know here you can get uh, income protection, you know if you if you're sick or or kind of unemployed or don't have clients as a freelancer and it's $50 a month. And here's the rules for when you can get money out. Sounds good. Buy, like sign up month to month subscription. Like that's how it's going to look like in the end. Gotcha. Well, I'm very, you know, I I think that this kind of helps me out because I'm very interested in this. It's definitely a big problem that needs to be solved. Like there, there has to be a solution at one point. So it's very interesting to kind of discuss possible solutions for it. But I do want to touch on something that we brought up earlier, um, which is Plumia and Mm. what a country on the internet might look like. So like we mentioned earlier on, Plumia is not necessarily like you didn't start a country called Plumia. It's more of a research project that looks into what would this exist like. And the first kind of paper or blog, if I can call it that, that you published on the Plumia website was in December of 2020. So almost a month, uh, I'm sorry, almost a year since kind of like launching it. What things have you found? What does the research point to? What have you learned so far? And what are some of like, like what has been some of the progress that you've achieved in terms of like setting up that research project? So kind of like a two-part question, like what have you achieved in that year since launching Plumia? What does Plumia look like as an organization now? And Mm -hmm. then the second part of it is like, what have you actually learned from that research? Yeah. So Plumia today is, I would say, uh, a fairly, a very active and a large volunteer organization where uh, there is a community that has regular kind of uh, creative sessions, speaker sessions, and also produce white papers uh, uh, on an on a volunteer basis. Basically, people who are extremely excited about bringing this about. And then we sort of like... Uh, fund the project to take care of some of the administration and like projects that can can use funding. But it's primarily um, a volunteer organizations with with hundreds of volunteers. So uh, so one thing we've learned is like this is a project that people are extremely excited about. Like it's obviously something that people are willing to dedicate time to on a volunteer basis. Um, so they want to see it come about. That's one thing we've learned. Uh, we have then, uh, over the course of the year, we've set a, a set of set uh, created working groups. Um, so one is for uh, the nomad and remote work visas, and the other is for the passport. Um, and those were just the two projects we we started to look into first. So uh, what have we learned from the passport? Uh, uh, working group. So I'll give some. So early on in the research, so so the purpose of this is like, how can we make a passport that is like good for a country on the internet, like an actual passport? <laughs> um, you know, in the beginning of that project, you know, some of the things look like we could, uh, you know, it clearly had to have a digital component as well as an analog component. So it's like, it's a proof of identity in digital space, as well as, you know, to be able to cross borders at an airport. Uh, we we kind of map potential paths there. In the beginning, the most likely paths uh, looked like partnering with a micronation to kind of, uh, and to, to build, get Give it the legitimacy, live. yeah. You give the legitimacy and kind of piggyback on an already strong passport that way. Although later, uh, a, a, another interesting path has developed as now what is probably the primary contender, which comes out of this other thing, which is the this like fl- flood of nomad visas. So uh, what we are working on now is essentially to create potentially an like, international visa program building on the success of nomad visas, which has been remarkably successful. Like over the course of the last year, it's something like 40 countries now implemented a version of this. 
but these can be made into regional uh, visas, and we know countries are uh, interested in this, and that uh, uh, if we're able to m- make that into a global program that you know almost all countries participate in, then you got a lot of the ingredients you need to make it into a passport, you know clearly. Um, so, so that's now uh, that is you know uh, um, acknowledged by countries. So that's now the other kind of like path that have uh, has seemed uh, has been very uh, seemed the most promising. Another thing we 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 spend a lot of time on is the you know the digital component of this. You know clearly you know one of what should a country on the internet do, and one thing that has become apparent is there's this basic things of identity that seems coming back so it's like who are and i mean here i did not identity in the like i i'm an entrepreneur or something i mean identity in like i am this per- particular person so that i can enter into contracts or, or things like that and make make promises so uh and you need to, that both as an individual but also probably as a company uh, and that this is likely something that is you know uh, well produced by by a country on the internet, and this is part of what the passport project is, and and that ha- that has to be something that is, um, you know, works in the in the digital space, and that people can build products on top of, uh, where you know knowing the identity of someone is is useful, which don't exist that much in the internet today. You know, you do have some kind of poor substitutes like a Facebook login, but everyone knows that that's you know, it's it's far from perfect. People don't think someone's Facebook login is actually a unique person because you can just create a Facebook account, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so this is uh, another thing we've uh, come to realize that this is a a very key part of what a country in the internet needs to provide. Okay, so that's working group passport. I, I gave some intro there. I'm not in the so I'm 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 saying this a bit from the outside. Um, and I know they can explain this much better. Uh, Brett was leading that, and and Lily, who's leading the Nomad Visa project. So the Nomad Visa project is is uh, actually a tool for policymakers. So <laughs> one thing we've also found so far this year is that we have a lot of success engaging with the countries directly, and we do want to have, uh, let's say, a peaceful transition into this new world because we do think that regular landholding countries and a country on the internet can will coexist um and um and and therefore you know have and that there's a lot of opportunity for regular countries to kind of like be early adopters in this new world and uh so we're doing this project where we're kind of mapping uh the the the, the different use cases uh the visas that are out there which work for which use case uh, as well as developing, like you know, finding the best practices, the proposals for you know how to really capitalize on you know attracting nomads and remote companies and and, and workers to to your country, uh, which is we're then going to produce and then we're essentially going to send it out and start conversations with the various countries that we want to encourage to uh, to take those steps. So th- those are our two working groups right now and and some of the early results. Yeah, I love like the idea of a country on a, on the internet because realistically speaking, I, even though I'm a U.S. citizen, may have a lot more in common with somebody living in, you know, India than I do with like another American, right? It's just like in the nature of like existence on the internet and the community that you have on the internet, like I might have a lot more in common with that person than I would with somebody in the US, even though we're from the same geographic area. So it makes sense to sort of like group ourselves in a new way on top of like a digital and an internet infrastructure. The question there becomes what, like, how do you decide who gets access to that, right? Because if you make it something that anyone and everyone can use, it can kind of like make it not as useful, right? So have you kind of thought about like, what are some of the criteria that somebody would have to have in order to be a citizen of whatever this digital country might be, right? So for like a US scenario, like the old structure might be like, I'm born in the US. So as silly as of an idea that might be that just because you're born in a country, that is one of the criteria that the US uses in order to then produce passports and citizenship for those people. So what might be those criteria for a digital country? 
Yeah, so we have not landed on this, but uh, I can tell the kind of criteria. So it obviously won't be mm-hmm. which you know patch of the planet you were born on. Uh, that that's that's kind of ridiculous when you think of an internet country, but but it will you know. So what will it be instead? You know, it will be uh, you know a, a, some kind of requirement, commitment to to how you you know want to be in the world right it's going to be a like a a, a, a behavior commitment or a character-based commitment like that's the kind of thing that it it will be uh, and that it makes more sense to be um and and you know difference from another country it's that those can also be revoked right it can be ended mm-hmm. voluntarily ended but it can also be revoked uh such a membership uh much more easily you know it's you know, in the olden days, people could banish people, but it just seems so incredibly difficult when every place on the planet has their own nation state. What does it mean to banish someone? Like they don't uh, like it, it, so people don't do that anymore. But in an internet country, that's definitely not uh, off the menu. So uh, we haven't gotten into thinking what that will be, but but. It is a fascinating thing to think about, and clearly one of the trends uh, I see foresee coming in the next decade is the rise of these moral communities, where uh, people on the internet who congregate around certain, you know, vision and values, to use a kind of company uh, analogy, um, will uh, band together and and, and do that, and uh, that the most successful will will rise to the top and. And clearly that can be part of what a country on the internet is. Although we probably won't go too heavily in that direction because we're also providing a service, right? It's like part moral community, but it's first and foremost a product, right? It's like you, you, uh, that's, that's the primary thing we have to figure out and, and want to do well is solving people's problems, shared problems that people have, everyone has. Um, and, uh, and then this, this other part, will will be more in the background and very light uh but i clearly you know there's clearly a lot of potential there as well yeah i think one of the like the interesting like ways that this could be solved and i've heard this pitched elsewhere sort of like what reddit does with like karma points right is like that certain users the more value that they provide inside of the community the more karma points they get and it would be sort of like almost like a pre like pre-citizenship and then citizenship where you need like, I don't know, like a thousand karma points to get like access to that citizenship. But then, you know, this is kind of like where you do like pros and cons because then you really stand to kind of open up a whole like black mirror can of worms where it's like, we're all grading each other and like, you don't want to like, you know, get like four stars or opposed to five stars. I don't know if you've seen that black mirror episode, Yeah, but it's like, it's going to be a very interesting, like, how do you do that? Like, how do you, decide who is valuable enough of a member to be admitted into your society yeah no i mean but i do think this comes down to to a value judgment and um and you know my impression is that you know what the the black mirror concern is real and a lot of these states who seem to be kind of sprinting into this like uh social credit systems like like china they it's it's too gleeful and it's not thoughtful enough sort of so mm-hmm. uh you know and this is like why we created plumia is that we were like okay we have the possibility to create new social mm-hmm. structures and the technology is already there and someone has to do it but we're gonna do it in a non-dystopian way <laughs> like that's number one like that's why we want to be thoughtful about it that's why we're starting with the research project instead of uh, sprinting into it, and we're we're focusing on solving problems first uh, before you know we're thinking about optimizing humanity. So, uh, so so that's you know I do think that with the right approach, you know you can avoid those dystopian traps uh, that create uh, you know societies which you know maybe nobody litters, but there's like you know there's no humility or there's no freedom left and. You know, it's just not worth it. <laughs> so, um, so you, we kind of want to set up a system that, where the most important things that everyone agrees on, and is something they pre-enter into. They know when they're entering into it. You know, that's one part you can qualify this the social contract. Uh, but it's it's done in a way where we're 
trying very hard to to preserve uh values that people care about the most um and and to do that in a in a in a careful thoughtful uh light uh way i think one of the other things that kind of protects the this future endeavor from becoming some sort of like a dystopian you know story is optionality right because mm. i think this, this like the sort of like dystopian directions and situations can happen when people don't have a choice but like one of the things and and this is definitely something that i think touches on this idea is that like the internet tends to create one big solution in a long tail of like like you know micro solutions right so you have an amazon that serves a majority of people and then a long tail of like niche solutions and any one of those niche solutions can rise to be the big dog if the big dog messes up, right? So you may have like one very large kind of country that a lot of people are members of, but then that you have like a long tail of other micro solutions for the same problem. What do you think about that in terms of like from what the research has shown? Yeah. Uh, so um, I do think that 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 is you know broadly correct that two of the things that are seen you know repeatedly on the internet is that market size goes up from local to global and network effects seems to be the thing that overrides in the long run and uh, I don't know if you've ever heard about this poem by Scott Alexander on Moloch uh, it's it's this uh, weird part of internet trivia but it's it's a great uh, bizarrely long article slash poem on on this uh, force in that is kind of like how we end up in certain places. Like the competitive dynamic can drive a system, a place without any individual part in the system wanting to go there because of the competitive dynamic, you know. And and that's the this is exactly the concern we have for starting early. Like where is I don't know anyone else who's trying to build a country on the internet or a global social safety net. And we've been doing it now for three years. But part of our motivation when we started out was exactly this. If we don't do it now and get like far ahead with something good, somebody is going to stumble into something dystopian via this competitive dynamic of just, you know, optimizing for, you know, some weird thing that just succeeds in growing, you know, I don't know, engagement. And you get this like thing that grows, but it's not good. Um, and, and, but then they get the network effect advantage and, and becomes the biggest. So I do think this is why this is such a crucial, uh, time to build this is I do think it is correct that the internet tends towards this, like there's a big market network effects. If there are some, and there clearly is some in a country, uh, we, uh, uh, you know, that will tend to being, uh, one that is much bigger than the others. And uh, and therefore, it's critically important that whatever that is, is good. Um, but nevertheless, um, you can also do it by being a bit restrained in your use of power. Like, um, you know, th there are ways that, for example, you know, the big network effects, social media players could... Um, lessen the effect you know that uh, of their uh, monopoly let's say or or part 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 monopoly monopoly power certainly which is for example that they could create uh you know an open protocol right so that say, facebook data and users could be used by other apps and tools and and then you you take away a lot of that you know uh, power and those are these are ideas that have been developed for a long time in in open source and on the internet in general, which has this decentralized ethos. And those kind of like decentralized apps are growing, and there's so much thought going into these uh, these these protocols and, and these projects. Um, so so this is where I think the solution lies. You know the 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 sort of the the, the crypto ethos of from going from don't be evil to can't be evil by building in um, uh, building things into the protocol that prevents one 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 player uh, from amassing all the all the power yeah it's almost like 
the the right answer and like i i love this idea of like hey we want to be early because like somebody could really fuck this up essentially right like as if yeah. like if we don't go into this carefully and like i i think this is kind of similar to like what elon musk is doing with ai right like hey there's like a lot of potential here for somebody to really fuck this up and like really mess exactly. things up so like let me go into it and solve that problem but then like you know because ai isn't the kind that kind of has like different dynamics like I think one of the things with this topic specifically in terms of like building like a country on the internet could be that like the right answer of not messing it up is almost like setting the play playing field for a lot of ideas to compete, right? Because it's like the best way to not make something that is dangerous is to open up competition to make sure that like you know, and this is happening in crypto is like, hey, let's make sure that like the bad ideas die out and like the good ideas win out. Right. So I think mm -hmm. that that is also just out of like mental playing and kind of like hypothesizing is, is like an interesting way to go about it as well. It's one of the things that I think like with crypto, individuals have a lot more power. So I'm very curious to kind of see how individuals come together in communities on their own in order to solve some of these problems as well. Like, I think that that's something that we might see as well as a potential mm. solution, kind of like what I've been calling like clanning in real life, right? Like we've seen people come together in video games and form clans mm -hmm. in order to solve large challenges that they couldn't individually. And that tends to happen naturally when you're presented with large scale problems. And I think we might see some of that as well. But in sort of like wrapping up, because we're already uh, close to an hour, uh, I do want to ask you something that we've kind of just touched on here barely, which is kind of like blockchain and crypto. Uh, mm -hmm. How does that play into this whole idea of everything that we've talked to so far? Like, like what, what does crypto as an idea play into all of these things that we've been discussing today? Well, at the highest possible level, I will say that, you know, it's part of the solution. It's, it's, it's a tool we should use, but it can't be all of it. So this would be, uh, you know, my criticism to going full decentralized on this kind of community project is that you, you uh, well, to take the reference from before, is that you can't constrain Moloch if it gets out of hand. Like, you, you don't have a way to, to do, like, error correcting on uh, or, or you don't efficient error correcting on a on a community scale level so uh, i think the appropriate way is to have a combination where you sit, mm -hmm. put what you can put using decentralized technologies like identity for example is probably something sh that should be your contracts these are things that lends themselves well to living in that world and then you build on top of that uh, like a service organization that is able to do error correcting and and addressing things that get weird and out of hand and in an inappropriate uh, on a on a community level, and so I would say the hybrid is the right approach. Mm, gotcha. Well, Sandra, mm. I want to say thank you so much for coming on. Before we officially close up, like I know that we've been talking about a lot of like futuristic ideas and a lot of things that you know will hopefully happen in a year or two. But can you tell a little bit to the listeners about what Safety Wing is today? And the, mm. what sort of problems are you solving? What sort of services do you have for the remote workers, the digital nomads out there that are listening right now? Like, what can they find from Safety Wing right now? Yeah. So right now we have uh, two two products for two different use cases. So one is nomad insurance. So that's if you're a digital nomad, meaning you're, you know, you're abroad, uh, you can buy a subscription, you know travel medical plan that's $42 a month and, you know, covers your health, but also, you know, some travel things like liability, lost items, uh, medical evacuation, etc., political evacuation as well. And uh, so that's one. So, and, you know, by far the best, I think, uh, and uh, uh, in, in all honesty, uh, very flexible. You can start it pause it any from month to month. Okay, so that's number one, nomad insurance for digital nomads. And number two is remote health. Uh, that's for remote teams. So if you have a remote team or remote startup, they are typically in several different places in the world. Um, you can then uh, offer benefits as a company uh, for all of them, You know whether they're hired as contractors or employers, employees you have a dashboard and you can add, you know, health, but also uh, a, f a full health insurance. That's kind of like high quality, 
you know, health insurance that a respectable company would offer and also have like add-ons like dental, vision, maternity. And you can say, we offer benefits, even though we're a remote company that hires from anywhere and you can work from anywhere, you know, you have these benefits. And uh, so if you work with us, you know, you will have those benefits. And also you can move to different places and still have, you know, a great health insurance. So those are the two products we have right now. Um, and uh, yeah, if you are either a digital nomad or have a remote team or you're a remote worker and you wish your company had benefits, you know, definitely would recommend checking out safetywing.com. And what about a remote doctor? I know that that's not something that you guys have necessarily launched yet, but it is something that is, you know, on your website as like coming soon. So what is that? And like, like, you know, since that's coming up soon, like what, what will that look like? Yeah. So remote doctor is in closed beta now, meaning that we are doing appointments uh, on, on remote doctor, but it's, uh, we're developing it, uh, you know, quite a bit before we uh, release it uh, available on the website. So what remote doctor is, is that we had this problem that came up on a recurring basis, which is that people do want to have a virtual doctor possibility as like a first line of defense. You know, sometimes you're not sure if you want to go to uh, the hospitals. You would like to just schedule a quick virtual visit. Maybe you just need a prescription. Maybe you just need a referral. And uh, and this is a service that exists in some countries. There are like well-developed virtual doctor service, but actually most don't have this yet. Uh, so we've figured out, we, we actually, this was something where we were hoping someone else would build it uh, so we could, but nobody has, we have no, somebody had to make a global remote uh, doctor, a virtual doctor offering that works anywhere in the world where you can build consultations, talk to someone if you're abroad, you know, from your home country or in your own language and also get, you know, medical advice or referrals or prescriptions wherever you are. So, uh, so we decided we have to build that ourselves. It's just a necessary service for us to have. Um, so, you know, it's very exciting. It's, 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 uh, I'm amazed at how simple the interface is and how easy it will be to use. So I think people will appreciate it a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, this is uh, us taking another step to becoming a full service remote health provider, I guess. Yeah, this is something that like I've been lucky enough to not have to like have as an issue because I have enough like family uh, members and friends who are in the medical field. So I have like nice. my own yeah. little team of like, <laughs> Hey, if I have like, you know, like an ortho issue, I know who to call. If I have like a general, I know who to call. And like, I love that somebody's like structuring this for the people who aren't fortunate enough as myself to like have family and friends to call up for that. So thank you for doing that. But Sandra, thank you so much for uh, coming up on the podcast. This has been a ton of fun for me. I hope that it was for you. I know that I asked you some tough questions, but I appreciate you for, you know, coming on here and for kind of like interacting about this. Even if you don't have all the like specific answers, it's really fun to kind of uh, brainstorm these sort of, uh, you know, solutions. Can you let people know uh, where can they find you on social media if they want to follow you and, and, and see more of you on the internet? Yes, so I would uh, recommend going to buildingremotely.com where we have a podcast and publish some writings there, especially on on building remote uh, companies, remote startups, if you're interested in that. Um, I'm also on Twitter, S-R-A-S-C-H, but not that active. Not sure if it's worth following. Uh, thanks. <laughs> you know, it's been a ton of fun, Mitko. You know, I, you know, great, tough questions, great questions, and uh you know, definitely we're on the frontier here in many of these things uh, and kind of so, you know, maybe not as clear as uh, we hope to be much quite soon on some of these topics. But I think we covered a lot of ground and it was it was really fruitful for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully uh, sometime soon we can have you back on and we can kind of like dive in deeper to find out like what has changed. But thank you so much, man. Uh, I really, really appreciate you being here. 